Hola Iglesia, hello church. I'm Adam and I'm one of the ministers here at FCC. And man, it is just so good to be together today. I mean, obviously we aren't in the same room together, but this time together where we worship and participate in communion and open God's word really does connect us to the rest of the, uh, the FCC community uh, and Christians all over the world. And so whether you're watching this in your pajamas, around the table, at brunch, or on vacation, I hope this message finds you well. And uh, before we dive into our message for this week, I've got a few notes for families. See, today is Promotion Sunday. And so over the past few weeks, you should have heard from one of our FCC kids or student ministers about everything we have planned for this fall. Um, we're going to kick off the month of August with a few fun events and then dive into regularly scheduled programming in the month of September. And I'm really excited about what the team has been working on, the fun and creative things we have planned for your family. And I, we, we sincerely hope those things will be a blessing to you as you disciple your students during this unique and difficult time. And second, we want every student, every caregiver of a student, teacher, and administrator to know that we are for you. Uh, we know that none of us are starting the school year the way we anticipated. We know that the past few months have been full of more questions than answers. We know you've been forced to make a lot of difficult decisions that you may be second-guessing even as you sit here today. And we know that some of you are still figuring out just how in the world all this stuff is going to come together. In the middle of all of that, we want you to know that we are with you. We are for you and we are here to serve you as you navigate the coming weeks and months. And in fact, before we dive into our message today, I just want to pause and pray for you. Great God, our hearts and minds are burdened this morning. We're full of a lot of feelings that we aren't normally full of this time of year. Feelings of excitement are replaced with feelings of anxiety instead of thinking about what we're going to wear on the first day or who we share classes with, we're making sure our computers and internet connections are able to do what they need to do to start the school year virtually. Instead of celebrating the return to routine, we're overwhelmed by the logistics of caring for our kids while still having to work. We're preparing our classrooms and curriculum, unsure of how the semester is going to unfold. There's just a whole lot of unknown heading into this year, and so we pray peace over students, teachers, administrators, and the people who support them as they all step into the unknown of a new year. We come before you with heavy hearts and open hands as we earnestly seek the guidance and protection of your spirit. God, in the middle of all of this uncertainty, may we not miss the gospel opportunities to, available to us, and may you equip us with what we need to be a blessing to those around us. Amen. So last week, Ethan introduced us to our new series that we're calling Masterclass. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be learning, learning from the greatest teacher ever, Jesus. Most of us have had teachers that have made a tremendous impact on our lives. If asked about a teacher that's responsible for the direction our lives went in, it's likely a lot of us could pinpoint someone quickly. I mean, I know that's true of me. I think about the teachers who've shaped and influenced me, and I can quickly bring to mind those who introduced me to people and ideas that changed the trajectory of my life, and those who called things out in me that I couldn't see in myself. And if you're a teacher or you ever were a teacher, I want you to know that you've made that sort of impact on a student, or you will in the future. 
See, I've had the opportunity to work with students over the past decade, and I get to see a different side of them, and I can assure you that you are making a difference, that you are leaving a mark. And a lot of those students will never, ever let you know that you have, but you are, and I get to hear stories about it all the time. See, teachers are important, and they have the ability to transform our lives for the better. And that's why we're doing this series. This series is based on the belief that Jesus can be that kind of teacher if we're willing to take his class. Jesus invites us to be yoked up with him. Last week, we looked at this invitation from Jesus to be yoked up with him. And Ethan talked about a yoke. A yoke is a farm tool um, that syncs up two animals so um, more demanding work can get done. But it's also used as a training tool. So you can hook a young animal up to an experienced animal, and as they work together, the younger animal learns from the more experienced one. And over time, as they work together, the younger one adopts the habits of the more experienced one. And Jesus wants to do the same for us. Jesus invites us to be yoked up with him. And if we choose to be yoked up with him, he promises that he'll teach us a different way. He'll teach us better rhythms, a new direction, and a different pace. Jesus is ready to teach us patterns, rhythms, and priorities that have the ability to transform our whole lives, not just Sundays. And even more than that, these patterns, these rhythms, and these priorities have the potential to change the world around us. Being yoked with Jesus, walking in step with Jesus, and learning from the master teacher has the potential to transform the world. And I know this is true because of Jesus' first students. His first disciples, those who were invited to follow him in the very beginning, followed in his footsteps and in so doing launched a movement that transformed an empire that flipped the world upside down. And the same movement is responsible for us being here today. And so this week we're getting back into yoke with Jesus to learn a timeless truth that we desperately need in our lives and our world right now. It's one of those lessons that we'll likely appreciate because it's a nice idea, but far fewer of us have figured out how to put it into practice. See, this week, Jesus wants to teach us how to work together in unity. This week, Jesus wants to teach us how to be a family working together toward a common mission, even though we sometimes have very little in common. And this is a great idea. In fact, this is one of uh, my favorite things about how Jesus works. I love how Jesus was able to take people from all walks of life and unify them around a shared mission. But even through my rose-colored glasses, I know that this is more difficult to practice than it is to read about. See, this is one of the teachings where I, teachings of Jesus where I, probably along with you, am tempted to say, this is a nice idea, Jesus, but... You know, the world just doesn't work this way anymore. Or uh, I'm quick to idealize Jesus and his first followers and say, well, of course they were good at this whole unity thing. They were walking with God in the flesh. But we can't do that now. Things are just too different. Things are just too broken. And in saying those phrases, we're tempted to write this teaching off because it seems so idealistic. And it seems so difficult and messy that we'd just rather keep going about business as usual and file this under away under nice ideas. See, the idea of working together in unity is so difficult and messy in practice because we're quick to realize that we're different. 
Sometimes we're very different. Maybe we read this invitation from Jesus to be unified, or we see a group of people who are doing this particularly well at a particular time, and we commit our lives to doing the same thing. But as soon as we get started in that work, we quickly realize that we're just different. We might start out on the journey together, but our differences become obvious quickly. I mean, think about it. We're different socially. We all have different things we enjoy, different ways we spend our downtime, and different personalities that cause us to approach life from different perspectives. And we're different financially. There are some of us watching this that have the means to do anything and go anywhere we want at a moment's notice, while there's others of us watching this today who are preoccupied with just making ends meet. And we're friends here. We can acknowledge this and be real with one another. We're different politically, aren't we? Many of us have opinions, and sometimes those are very strong opinions about how our local and national governments should operate and why we should support one group over another. And that's just the beginning of the list. In loads of ways, we're different. And in light of our differences, it's tempting to believe that to get anything done, we just have to seek out people who are like us. But Jesus didn't feel like this was impossible. In fact, he hinged his plans on us being able to pull this off. See, Jesus knew our differences full well. But even in light of that, he prayed in one of his final prayers that we, the church, would be one just as he was one with God. In fact, he prayed that we would be one because our unity would be one of the main signs signaling that a new kingdom was breaking into the world. And there's a whole lot happening around this prayer. Jesus has just spent the last several chapters um, teaching his disciples and preparing them um, to go out on their own. See, they've been learning from him for years, and it's time for a graduation of sorts. Because as soon as Jesus finishes this prayer, he's going to be arrested, put on trial, and ultimately crucified. And so let's look at this prayer. Look at, let's look at what it says together near the end. Jesus says, I'm not only praying for them, and when he says them, he means the first class, the first disciples, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. I pray that they, oh, and that they right there, that they, that they is us. Um, Jesus is praying for us. He says, I pray they will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I pray that, I pray that they will also be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one just as we are one. I'm in them and you're in me so that we will be made perfectly one. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you loved me. See, God hinged God's plans for the redemption of the world on the belief that an eclectic community could work together to accomplish God's mission. And this is my personal favorite thing about life in God's kingdom and the places where God is in charge and in the places where people are living by God's rules. We don't have to agree on everything to participate in the plan that God is unfolding. We don't have to look the same. We don't have to talk the same. Uh, we don't have to have the same level of education or fall into the same tax bracket to participate in God's plans. And of course, it would be much simpler if we were all alike and it's, it's not easy for us to work together, but it's possible if we're yoked up with Jesus. See, Jesus gives us what we need to move forward. And it's difficult and it's messy and we most certainly need the power of God's Spirit guiding and empowering us. Uh, 
but it's possible. And I know it's possible for us because it was possible for Jesus' first class. See, Jesus' first students, they were an eclectic crew. Um, His first group of students were a group that couldn't have been much more different. From the outside looking in, they looked like they would have mixed about as well as oil and water. I mean, looking at this group together, their partnership made about as much sense as unsweet tea and biscuits without gravy, which isn't much sense. If you aren't from around here and watching this from out of town, those are two things that don't make a whole lot of sense in our neck of the woods. These guys just didn't go together, and it would, it would be difficult to figure out how they were connected. Because when they met Jesus, some were rugged fishermen, and some were committed to overthrowing the government. Some had turned on their own people to work for that very same government. Some were highly educated, some had no education at all. And as this group grew over time, it didn't become more similar. It only got more diverse, and it began including women and all sorts of other people who would not have typically and traditionally followed a teacher, who followed a rabbi. Some of these students would have been each other's sworn enemies in any other context, but because of their time with Jesus, they became one of the most famous classes of all time. And there was no reality in which they would have made up a group of friends, but here they were following and learning from the greatest teacher ever. And I I look at them and how they stayed unified, and even though they were different, and I think about how we respond to people who are different from us, and and it makes me feel a little overwhelmed. I mean, I, I look at them and then look at us, and I feel like I would pay quadruple the yearly rate of masterclass.com to learn how Jesus pulled this off. Because in a, in a world where dividing lines feel like they're drawn across every area of our lives, from the, from the sports teams we follow to the neighborhoods we live in, from the, the, the paychecks we bring home to the way we vote, when I consider all of those differences, this just seems impossible. But we can learn a lot from Jesus first class. See, Jesus found a way to yoke this eclectic crew together to launch a kingdom movement. And so how did he do it? How did this group survive and thrive against all odds? Well, I think we learned this lesson actually from one of the moments where this group was at their least unified. See, we find this story in Matthew chapter 20, near the end of the gospel of Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament. And Jesus has just finished a pretty long class session, and the group is making their way toward Jerusalem. And on the way, a request is made of Jesus that tests the unity of of the group. The, The mother of Zebedee's sons comes to Jesus alongside with her sons. And bowing before him, she asked a favor of him. Well, what do you want? He asked. She responded, say that these two sons of mine will sit on one, uh, one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Meaning, Jesus, please let my sons be in position of prominence in your kingdom. And Jesus replies, you don't know what you're asking. They have no idea what's getting ready to happen. And he says, can you drink from the cup I'm about to drink from? And they said to him, we can He said, you will drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom my father prepared it. And now when the other 10 disciples heard about this, they became angry with the two brothers. Now, when I read about like a disagreement in the Bible or like people becoming angry with one another, I picture it from the perspective of Downton Abbey. 
most of the time, where everything's calm, everything's reserved. There might be some quippy phrases exchanged, but nothing gets too out of hand. But when you look at the first disciples and who they were, um, that doesn't seem to be what this argument would look like. They were passionate. A lot of them worked with their hands, and so the only way they would have known to resolve an issue was with their hands. And so I imagine this escalating quickly and push coming to shove and words being exchanged that the gospel writer would be ashamed to put in this story. And so this is, this is escalating quickly. But then Jesus calls them over, and he says calmly, You know that those who rule the Gentiles show off their authority over them. And their high-ranking officials order them around. But that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be your slave. Just as the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. In this story, in this tense moment, we learn what keeps Jesus' class unified. And it's found in the phrase, but Jesus called them over. When they were at their worst, when they reached a boiling point, Jesus calms them down. When they're fighting who, who's the greatest and why, Jesus is the one who redirects and reframes the conversation. When they're at their greatest risk of getting distracted from their mission, Jesus reminds them of who they are, who they're following, and what they're supposed to be about. Jesus is the only thing keeping this radically different group unified. And when they're yoked with Jesus, they're able to move together. But as soon as they take their heads out of that yoke, they fall out and fall back into their differences. The first disciples stayed unified because of Jesus. They were able to move together and advance the gospel because of Jesus. That's all they had. They couldn't have agreed on much else. And so Jesus was for them kind of like this thing called a walking rope. Um, and I thought about this walking rope as I was thinking about this lesson from Jesus this week because one of our preschool classes uses this to help students get from one place to another. And it's kind of like a yoke, but you don't like put your head into it. It's nothing like that. Um, this is just a rope with some loops on it. And students grab onto each of the loops and they're led by the teacher. And man, this is a great tool because keeping a group of preschoolers moving together seems about as daunting to me as trying to unify the first disciples. And so teachers just ask students to grab onto the loop and hold on to it. And as long as they hold on to the loop, they can't drift away. Sure, they might get distracted, they might move out of line a little bit, but as long as they hold on to the rope, they'll get to where they're supposed to go. And Jesus functioned for the disciples the same way this walking rope functions for preschoolers in the same way a yoke functions for young animals. As long as they were connected to Jesus, they would keep moving in the same direction. But if they let go of him or took their head out of the yoke, they would get off track. And Jesus knew this. This is why he said a couple of chapters before the prayer we read earlier in John 15, he says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. A branch can't produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. And he goes on to say, Hey, just so we're clear, without me, you can't do anything. If you don't remain in me, you'll be like a branch that is thrown out and dries up. Those branches are gathered up, thrown into a fire, and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. And my Father is glorified when you produce much fruit and in this way prove that you are my disciples. Jesus says that, that we will be amazed at what can happen when we remain in him. Jesus says this because he knows that this was true of the disciples. The only way they could keep moving forward together was to stay connected to the vine. And they were connect, when they were connected to the vine, they were a powerful kingdom movement that transformed the world. But when they were disconnected from the vine, they were doomed for failure. And friends, the same thing is true for us because we're just like the disciples. A lot of time, the only thing we have in common with the person we're worshiping next to on a Sunday morning is Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing about the church, and it's something that I believe sets us apart from any other group of people. See, at our best, we're an eclectic group that's focused on Jesus and working toward a common mission. We all, call, we all come from different walks of life to worship and serve the same God. But at our worst, we're just like the disciples, doomed to fight among ourselves and get distracted from the things that matter most. And there's something interesting that happens when we keep our focus on Jesus. When we're focused on Jesus, we, our differences don't seem to be as big of a deal. We start to see how all of us play a part in the big redemption story that God is working together. With Jesus as our walking rope, we actually start to value our differences, not fear them, because they allow us to do all kinds of things. They allow us to pull one another back when we're getting off track. They allow us to slow each other down. They allow us to offer wisdom to one another based on past experience. They allow us to speed each other up when we're going too slow. They allow us to draw attention to things that maybe need to be noticed from fresh eyes. When we're looped up with Jesus, when we're yoked up with Jesus, we realize that our differences are a blessing, not a curse. We realize that they're assets, not liabilities. And so, friends, as we go into this week, I hope we'll take this lesson from Jesus with us. I hope the Spirit will bring it to mind. And I hope the Spirit will bring it to mind when we're engaging in political dialogue with a friend or coworker. I hope the Spirit will call it to mind when we're frustrated by someone who's younger than us or when we're frustrated by someone who's older than us. Um, I hope the Spirit brings this to mind when we see a post online that feels like it's begging to be trolled. As we go into these moments and any other moment that tries to distract us from our unity, may we remember that we don't have to think the same way, vote the same way, or have the same life experiences to be connected to the same Jesus. And yes, it still seems crazy to think that God would hinge God's plans on our ability to be unified. That is until we realize just how much we need one another, until we realize that we're not just yoked up with Jesus, we're not just looped up with Jesus, but we're looped up with one another. And think about how much change can happen when we focus on the thing that has us yoked together rather than the things that divide us. I believe that real change, lasting change, change that can transform people can happen in the places where we live, work, and play when we're yoked up with Jesus. And if Jesus first class can do it, we can definitely do it, as long as we're yoked up with Jesus and yoked up with each other. Not only can we do it, but our world desperately needs us to do it.
Let's pray. God, as we wrap up our time together, I pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed all those years ago. I pray that we should be one, that we would be one with Jesus. I pray that our unity in you would be a sign that draws people to you and causes the world around us to lean in and learn a better way. You are the thing that binds us together and you're the one we're living for. Please give us the focus we need to keep our eyes on you this week. Give us the humility to partner with and learn from others with whom we may not see eye to eye. Give us the courage to remain yoked up with you, even when it would be easier to give in to the things that divide us. You're our unity, you're our hope, and we place our trust in you. Amen.